Hello my friends, welcome back to Gardo Goes Geek. On today's episode, we're going to be taking a look at a show that is generally held up there as one of many, many shows cancelled before its time, and especially in nerd circles, seems to be quite beloved, or at least was until um, the author behind that show um, was revealed to be involved in some quite nasty things. But that show is Firefly, which is approaching its 20th anniversary this month. So, let's have a look and explore both Firefly and Serenity, and see if the praise it has held in fan circles is justified. Firstly, as a quick note, obviously I recorded the intro for this episode um, as a way of trying to get ahead back in September. Um, September 20th, I believe, was the anniversary for Firefly in the US. Um, 20 years old, which is impressive. Um, but because I seem cursed to never get an episode out exactly when I want it to, um, <laughs> I, um, I'm a bit later with this episode. Now, Firefly is a show that I have been aware of for literally years but only very recently got around to watching for the first time. Um, in fact, when I first had the idea of doing um, a podcast or, or YouTube show or, or something where I could talk about nerd stuff, Firefly was one of the things I was most excited to cover. Um, the reason being, I wanted to originally use whatever form of content I created um, as a way of catching up on stuff that I feel that I've missed. Um, there's a lot of big nerd shows that for a multitude of reasons, whether, you know, time constraints or not having the right channels or, you know, just simply being poor, I have not had a chance to watch and Firefly is one of them and Firefly is always the one that seems to be quite commonly touted as one of the bigger sci-fi fandoms. People really like Firefly and so I first watched it um, in preparation for doing, um, you know, a, a podcast or a YouTube channel or something like that, um, back in the original lockdown. Or it may have been just before then, actually. And I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan. That isn't to say that Firefly isn't good, I do think it's a good show, and I don't necessarily regret watching it, but I'm not as invested as Firefly, in Firefly, as I am in a lot of other shows I've watched, and 
I think a lot of that comes down to how the discourse kind of presents itself around Firefly and the discussions that take place around it. So what is Firefly? Firefly was created by Joss Whedon. Um, it was a script that was sent to um, Fox. Um, he was friends with an executive at Fox at the time. Um, she contracted him to write a show. Um, he was working on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel at the time, specifically... Um, I believe it was season six of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and season three of Angel. Um, I've recently been watching Buffy and Angel for the first time as well. I've never seen those either. Um, and my partner suggested that we watch those uh, together because she's always loved them. I've never seen them. And... I, I've currently just watched up to the start of season three of Angel and season six of Buffy. Um, so I've watched the first five seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the second, the first two seasons of Angel. I generally, out of the two, I think I'm preferring Angel um, than Buffy. We're watching them in chronological order and infrequently when we see each other. So... We're not constantly watching them all the time. So it's taking us a while to get through them. But it's also given me time to ruminate on them and digest them. And they're very good shows. They're very, very much a product of their time. But I also see a, a, a huge precursor to a lot of things that became quite common in television. Um, in a similar way to... Um, something like Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which I've talked about before, where you have um, a serialised plot for a season while still having very self-contained episodes. Um, and in the case of Angel, a much bigger sort of series-long storyline, not just throughout the one season, but an ongoing threat that is persisting season into season. And I'm really liking that. And there's, you know, the characters are developing from episode to episode. Um, not every development is is positive. Some are negative. Some, I think, put, push the characters in um, reverse directions. Um, but on the whole, I'm enjoying it. And, you know, you can see in this a precursor to a lot of modern television, especially in science fiction and fantasy circles like this was clearly the blueprint for something like smallville which followed a few years later and then that obviously led into the arrowverse series of shows on the wb supernatural riverdale a whole load of shows of that ilk um you know buffy was on the wb i believe um so it was like yeah the, these were you know, it, it was that same style of show. And Buffy is very clearly, you know, an archetype of the things that would come later on with a lot of modern day shows. Um, 
there are in the streaming age it seems to have changed we've got a different type of series now which is the more sort of um almost like a, a long form film um where each episode is less self-contained and more of a chapter um as you're seeing with things like stranger things game of thrones um and that's definitely a, a move that streaming is is having but that's that's a discussion for another time firefly um was mainly the brainchild of joss whedon he actually w stepped away from buffy and angel to more sort of spearhead firefly uh, he brought Tim McNear with him, who had been working with him on Buffy and Angel at the time and had been responsible for writing and directing um, several very good episodes across both the shows. And yes, they, they worked together and they created Firefly. Firefly itself is a hard show to pin down a lot of people try and say of it as, as like a western space opera you know or a sci-fi western and that's true in some ways but also not really true in others um it does have a lot more of its storytelling concepts in line with a western show um you know a lot of the character archetypes are the sort of things that you would see in westerns um uh, which i'll discuss when i get to the characters um and you know the the settings are like these frontier towns um but these frontier towns are colony backwater planets um that have been terraformed in this enormous star system where humans have found themselves you know millennia in the future um not millennia even centuries it's it's interesting enough but really firefly is a show about characters and it's very much inspired by the sort of work that Joss Whedon was doing on Buffy and Angel, where you have a core cast of very strong, very richly developed characters, um, and it's their character interactions that help to fuel the story. And it's like, yes, there's a threat or uh, an event or, or something that needs dealing with in a particular episode, but it's how those characters react to that story that drives the plot. And, you know, there's a lot of witty dialogue and a lot of, um, you know, twists in the character story. And for the most part, all of that works. I mean, this is the reason why Joss Whedon got given the gig at directing the first Avengers movie and why that first Avengers movie that he wrote and directed is very, very good. And it's because this was the sort of thing he did very well. This is the reason why Buffy and Angel were so inspirational. But Firefly only lasted for one season. 14 episodes. It wasn't even a full season. It was cancelled halfway through filming. Um... 
So presumably there would have been at least another six episodes, probably another eight episodes in that first season. And so, as a result, it doesn't really end, at least not in the show. It was given an ending of sorts a few years later with the film Serenity, but that's its own story, um, which I will be discussing later on. But it in itself was a very... You know, it's not a show that was designed with the same sort of overarching through line, or at least not in the same way as something like Buffy or Angel. Buffy tends to have um, a big bad every season, um, in a similar way to the template that Smallville would follow later on, and, and so same with the Arrowverse shows, where each episode will build new threats, but there's a lingering threat in the background who may be behind some of the elements of the week. Sometimes they may be the direct threat in those particular weekly episodes, but they will be built up to as the big end threat for the season, the end boss, if you will. It isn't apparent in Firefly if that's the case. There are definitely a couple of hints in some episodes that there are other forces at work but no real indication that we're heading towards some sort of confrontation instead the storytelling is built around nine characters which is a very large cast at the time you know nine characters who all have secrets shall we say there's definitely layers to their characters, hidden elements to them, or to a lot of them anyway, not necessarily all of them. Um, and, you know, a lot of these are established in their first appearance in the, in the pilot episode, Serenity. And you feel that... It's those secrets and those character storylines that are going to be the key conflict. And the issue is, because of Serenity's cancellation, a rather unjust cancellation in a lot of people's eyes, that a lot of those character arcs go unexplored within the actual released work of Firefly itself and so the discussions around Firefly tend towards the the untapped promise the potential that it had as a show and off of the back of Buffy and Angel you can see why people are thinking in that way. Why people are thinking about the promise and where this all had the potential to go. And why that is the thing that fans seem to cling to. You know, what were the origins of river's powers what were the hands of blue uh what was shepherd book's big secret 
you know. That was the sort of story that we were getting. Not, or that we would have gotten. Not what would be the big confrontation between Mal and the Alliance. That's a different story, and not the story that Firefly ever seemed interested in telling. And so it's the promise and the the missed potential that people seem to talk about the most. And that's not a problem. It's definitely not a problem. It's a discussion worth having. Um, because Joss Whedon had proven himself as a screenwriter and a director and as a showrunner, people had a very good idea of what they could have expected from Firefly. And so you know, with the quality that we already have in the episodes that we do have, it's easy to see what could have become from it. But this is where I differ with a lot of the fandom because I don't necessarily believe that that potential is enough to elevate Firefly in and of itself. Of the 14 episodes we get, there's a lot of great moments in them. But, you know, I've watched them once, a while ago. I had no real desire to re-watch any of them for this podcast. Not as a whole, anyway. And so I differ with the fandom because I don't think... While, while Firefly... While there's elements of Firefly that I definitely think are very, very good, some of the episodes themselves are not great. Some of the things in those episodes, even the good ones, are not great. And I have no real desire to go back and rewatch it. Serenity is a different story. I really liked Serenity. And I was... I, I would quite happily go back and watch that again. Despite the flaws that I do have with it. But Firefly itself? Even a couple of the episodes that I, I genuinely really enjoyed. I have no huge desire to go back. So... I'm going to discuss Firefly. I'm going to discuss what I think works about it, what I think doesn't work about it, or at least doesn't work for me. And sort of give my reasons why, why I have these issues with it. And how maybe it was just a show that passed me by, maybe because I didn't have the nostalgic attachment to it from watching it at the time. But, you know, I'm going to present my argument as to why, whilst definitely flawed, I don't think Firefly 
is the masterpiece that a lot of people seem to hold it up to be. I do want to say I quite like the setting for Firefly. It has its own unique elements that I really enjoy. Um, the series takes place in the early 26th century, um, and it all takes place within one star system with a variety of planets and moons that have all been terraformed. Uh, you know, hundreds of planetary bodies within one solar system. And Serenity, the ship itself, is limited to um, a gravity drive, which is implied is not faster than light. So while it's fast and you can you can make quick travel, travel still takes time. It's not immediate. And you know it's all within one star system like it the film actually uh, goes so far as to feel reveal that it took generations for the ships that left earth to arrive in this system um you know the opening narration from book says that um they found a new solar system and hundreds of new Earths were terraformed and colonised. The central planets formed the alliance and decided all the planets had to join under their rule. And after the war, many of the independents who fought and lost drifted to the edges of the system far from alliance control. And that's basically the setting. The alliance control the core worlds, which are quite rich and very finely developed. And we do see some of the core worlds in this. There's... A, a real sense of a, a gross inequality between the core worlds and the the almost the lawless frontier that's on the rim um and i like that i think it's it's very good like there's one episode where book gives kaylee a strawberry um like a real strawberry and it's implied to be so rare on the rim that Kaylee's like had one once. And then there's another episode where they infiltrate, um, you know, they're infiltrating this big core world shindig. And um, Kaylee is in this big pretty frock um, on Mal's arm. And there's just a plate, a pile of strawberries there just as part of this banquet for a load of rich folks. And Kaylee's just stunned, and it's it's just a really nice character touch that, but there's also like some some key core world building. Now, the outer planets are, you know, very very western inspired. They're small towns, small settlements on the frontier. Um, a lot of location shooting out in like um you know the deserts near california and up near the vasquez rocks and things like that you know all these things that if you've seen a lot of um location shooting in something like star trek or orville for example you recognize a lot of these locations you've seen them before um plenty of old westerns have used them as well <laughs> so it's it's definitely clever. Um, the characters occasionally refer to Earth, but they call it the Earth that was. Um, 
which I like. It's it's the um, the idea that Earth is just so far in the distant past for the people in this setting that the people that we are encountering now have no memory of it. It you know a lot of science fiction still has humans that either remember earth or are still like earth is still an important part of the government and this is not it's gone and i do like that um the idea of the the war against the lion's control is an interesting touch although it's never really explored what the independents were fighting for like it's clearly meant to be inspired like it is very clearly inspired like even Joss Whedon and Tim McNear have admitted this that they they based you know they based a lot of the idea for the setting and the characters on um, stories that they read about the old west after the American Civil War um, but the independents aren't implied to be confederates. It looks like they were they were fighting for their freedom. They were fighting for independence from alliance control. And that's that's what the narration suggests as well. Um and that makes it a bit more interesting and a bit more sympathetic, but at the same time doesn't really explain much of anything. Like, it's really not explained what, you know, what makes them, you know, why there was a war in the first place. It's really not explained. Um, you know, that our main viewpoint into this war is Mal and the flashbacks that we get to his experiences. And Mal clearly just wants to be free. He's very independent, very libertarian. He wants to be free from government control. He wants to do his own thing. He wants to be a free man. And, you know, I can get with that and support that. But it's like, I'm sure there were, there were soldiers on the Confederate side who wanted something like that as well without being interested in the slavery aspect you know, in the in the American Confederation. So you know, the the idea of what a movement what a person stands for and what a movement stands for are very, very different. And some people can join a movement for different reasons than the actual movement itself. You know, so I, I wish that had been explained a bit more. I get the feeling it would have been had the series continued. Um, the show takes its name from the ship, the Serenity, um, which is a Firefly-class spaceship. And it's it, design-wise, it resembles a Firefly, um, which I like. Even the even the uh, the engine of the ship like lights up when it accelerates. And there's also a really nice touch in this, which is that a lot of the space-bound sequences have no noise. Like, no noise at all. Um, the only other show I can think of from sort of around this time that did anything like that was Battlestar Galactica. 
Um, but in Galactica, it wasn't silence. It was muffled noise for the most part. You know, like the cannons on Galactica still made noise, but they didn't make a huge amount of noise. It was more like it was submerged rather than just complete silence. And obviously the vacuum of space would be silent. So it's a good touch. I think The Expanse has done it as well recently. Um, and it's just a nice science fiction touch. There's one point in the movie, though, where they do have sound in outer space, but it's also could be implied to be the upper atmosphere of this planet that they're fighting over um, because they do come through some sort of barrier um, for the sound to kick in. So it's possible. Um, but yeah, there's something very interesting about seeing explosions in space and not hearing anything. There's very, something very eerie about it. Um, Mal named the ship Serenity after the Battle of Serenity Valley, which was where Mal and Zoe were among the survivors on the losing side. And it's generally considered to have been the battle that, you know, the, the defeat that sealed the independence fate. And we actually see some of this battle in the original pilot episode um which is also called serenity and i mean it's very interesting it doesn't feel like a science fiction battle when you watch it it feels like almost like a period piece in some respects there's you know the weapons aren't ray guns they're guns they're projectile weapons and relatively simple ones One aspect of this show that became quite notable um, to a lot of people is that the Alliance, well, at least the, well, not even the Alliance, the entire human civilization in this seems to be a fusion of predominantly Western culture and predominantly Pan Asian, especially Chinese culture, um, giving very mixed. Um, visual theming, but also occasionally mixed linguistics, like the characters swear in Chinese, which is clearly done to get around the censors. And actually is one of the things I find a bit more tiresome about the series, because some of the swearing sequences, you know, they're not just the occasional word, they are long strings of Chinese. And... We have no idea what the characters are saying. And a lot of the Chinese language, as I've seen it, is full of quite colourful idioms and um, very verbose descriptions, which are not translated in any real way. And... Yeah, it's not as straightforward as, you know, swearing at someone or swearing about something. They're always much more colourful in the original Chinese. Um, as with a lot of Asian languages. And so, yeah, 
it's it's one that I don't know. It just goes tired on me because it it's very long strings of Chinese, and it's like, yeah, we get it. You're swearing. You're angry. Carry on with the scene. Um, I I just don't I don't think it adds much for me as a viewer. Maybe just my view. Um, in terms of the stylings, though, I I I can see it. I like I get it. Um, you know, there's a lot of you know, sort of Asian clothing ideas in some of the some of the costuming. Kaylee especially wears a lot of um Asian style clothing. But also there's no Asians in the cast, like at all, which is really jarring. Like, I don't think there's even any major Asian background characters. Like if Asia is meant to be so important in this, couldn't we have included some actual Asians? maybe even filmed it in a place that had some actual Asians that you could use just for background extras. I mean, I'm aware there are Asian Americans, but there's not as many Asian Americans as there are African Americans, say. Whereas if you were to film it in somewhere like Australia, there's far more Asian Australians than there are African Australians. Does, does that make sense? You know, it it would, you know, it wouldn't have been the only American series that was also filming partially with Australia at the same time. Like Farscape was doing that. I mean, admittedly, Farscape was a couple of years later, but but you know, some aspects of it work. Like Joss Whedon and uh, Tim Mania highlighted two scenes that they sh felt showed the mood of this what this show um, in. One of them is in Serenity, the actual pilot, where Mal is eating with chopsticks, but there's a Western tin cup by his plate, um, which is clever. It's like a, a military tin ration cup, um, but he's also eating with chopsticks. It's like, okay, I get that. That's the, the fusion of cultures idea that I can, I can see and I can kind of buy. And then the other is uh, in the train job where Mal gets thrown out of a, a bar through the window but the window is a hologram and it's again that's that's the the western iconography mixed with the science fiction aesthetic and again that works quite well um there's also a scene in the in the trailer where the uh, not the trailer sorry the opening where the serenity flies over a herd of horses which is a very clever visual metaphor for the you know the sort of freedom that we associate with a, a herd of you know galloping horses um on the plane and seeing the ship mal's ship fly over that that's very interesting i do like that the show does use its own slang as well um some of it works for me, um, some of it doesn't. Like, Gorham, I really am not sold on as a word. It's It's got a similar... I've got a similar view to Gorham as I do with certain other fake swear words in shows. To go back to two I've already mentioned, Farscape and Battlestar Galactica both had their own versions of the F-word in Frell and Frack, respectively. Um, 
and while I wasn't so fond of Frell, um, I did quite like Frack because it had the hard K sound at the end, so it felt very phonetically similar to the F word, um, whereas Frell doesn't. Goram feels like, um, because of the, the ending and the start, phonetically it feels very similar to saying Godam, like really quickly, Godam. Um, but at the same time also sounds like you're saying it with a mouthful of marbles. Um, and so I don't find that as, as interesting. Um, shiny I quite like, though, as you know sort of implied to be something cool you know similar to the slang word cool but um but with shiny i get the impression that there's not much on the frontier that is shiny and so shiny would be used as a term for something that is impressive and so that one works for me as part of a world-building aspect in that you would say that something was impress something impressive wouldn't be cool it would be shiny because on the frontier you know the frontier in this is is lived in it is you know things are old and tired and broken again the western aspect and so the idea of something being shiny outside of the core worlds yeah, you, it would be a word that would be used for impressive things. So that one I buy into, and I like a lot more. There's one final aspect of um, the setting that I, I haven't covered yet. Obviously, I've mentioned the Alliance being in the core worlds and them being very rich and powerful and luxuriant, and a, a lot of how they are depicted, like the brief times that our crew are on the core worlds... Yeah, we see that. The frontier, um, you know, the rim, is very different. You know, very lived in, very western. Everything's a bit poorer and dirtier and grimier. And then there's one final aspect, which is the black. Now, the black is sort of beyond the planets of the system, and it's essentially open space. And open space is inhabited by a cannibalistic group of nomadic humans called the Reavers. And, yeah, the Reavers are just... We don't... They're always spoken of in hushed tones and, like, barely seen... But they become prominent in the Serenity film. Very, very prominent, in fact. Like, surprisingly so. And... I'm not sure... I'm not sure how I feel about them. They're very interesting as a concept um although they're, they're clearly meant to be a, a pastiche of the western tro uh, trope of the the savage indian 
You know, that's clearly what they're inspired to be this settings version of. Um, you know, which is a trope that's born from huge amounts of racism anyway, although that's not the case here. But from how they are described and then how they are later seen, where they are just brutal savages who will kill and maim and torture and rape as as well. Um, how do they even exist to have ships that fly in space? How do they have any form of society, especially with what we learn about them in the film? <sighs> it's bizarre. They feel like something that it could have been interesting to explore more. And especially with what we learn about them in the film, which I will get to, um, it could have been interesting to see more development of them. So, yeah, that's the elements of the show. Um... But the, the one, you know, the setting. But one biggest element that I haven't talked about yet is the characters. So the the core of Firefly is its characters. As, as interesting as the setting and the stories actually are, it's the characters around which this show is built. Um, Joss Whedon has a habit of trying to write things about sort of found family and i think that's why a lot of his work resonates with people um especially in the modern day where a lot of people do take on that sort of found family approach you know we surround ourselves with the people that we like and who we care about um and sometimes that is our own family and sometimes it's it's friends and partners and lovers that we make along the way you know, it's a very, it's a very, the found family is a very modern concept that I like. It's, it's almost the antithesis of the old nuclear family. And it's one I'm, I'm, I very much enjoy, um, about the modern day. And the crew of the Serenity is this show's found family. Um, you know, the, the story of the, of the show is about the ship it's mal's ship um you know the his former um fellow soldier that he he commanded during the war um zoe they were both brown coats during the the war against the alliance um you know mal bought the serenity um because he wanted to live beyond alliance control after the war and you know, the crew that he put together, um, you know, Kaylee, Jane, Zoe, Wash, um, came together and they, they work on cargo runs and smuggling to try and, you know, find jobs and eke out a living so that they can live free. Um, and all of that changes when they take on the passenger of uh, Simon Tam in the pilot episode and secretly his uh, sister, River. Um, 
Simon is he joins the crew as a paying passenger in the pilot and he has River smuggled aboard as cargo and we learn that he's a he was an alliance trauma surgeon who sacrificed everything he had to save his sister um you know River was subjected to she was a child prodigy and she got subjected to experiments at this by the alliance at like a secret institution and she displays symptoms of schizophrenia she hears voices and you know we later learn that actually no she's a reader she's telepathic um and because Simon broke her out and because she's such a high-value target to the Alliance, they're fugitives. And so they join the crew along with um, Shepherd Book, a preacher, um, in, the, in the first episode. And the story, that, that's the main meta story, is, you know, eventually the Alliance are going to try and catch up to them. So, to talk about the actual crew themselves, um, Nathan Fillion portrays Mal, Malcolm Reynolds. He is a former sergeant. He fought at the Battle of Serenity Valley. He grew up on a ranch, so he grew up out on the frontier himself. Um, he's cunning. He's uh, a strong leader. He's a decent fighter. Um he just wants to be independent and be free. And while he's not above smuggling or petty theft or even killing if the situation demands it, he's generally honest and loyal for the most part. And, you know, he has his own moral code. Um, I will admit, I struggled with Mal when I first watched the show he feels very much like a broken soldier um he feels like what I imagine a lot of confederates would have felt like after the war kind of lost and without purpose but then it becomes apparent that his purpose is just to be free and yes that means he'll scrape by but he's smart enough and capable enough to do that um you know he's just concerned with his his own freedom and his autonomy um but yeah in the first few episodes i found him very unlikable um and i but i did gradually warm to him but i don't think i ever really started to like mal until the film which is a shame because the film is definitely the best outing for the character. The problem is because it's an ensemble cast, um, the film tries to balance it down to a few core roles and several supporting roles. And Mal obviously becomes one of the main central figures. And it works for me because they give him more of a heroic angle. And... Yeah, I, I like that. And that, that really 
like his morals came to the forefront you know in the film um as his morals were tested and that's that to me worked a lot more than he had in the series up until that point and you know this this show went on to make Nathan Fillion a, a geek a beloved geek icon and I can see why he's he's definitely a good leading man definitely a great figure as Mal but yeah it's a character I struggled with at first grew to like and then eventually loved by the end of the film so yeah um Zoe, played by Gina Therese, Zoe Aline Washbourne. Um, she's a second command. Um, she's, you know, she worked with Mal in the war. She's Wash's wife. Um, she was born and raised on a ship. She served under Mal during the war as a corporal. Um, her husband, Wash, describes her as a warrior woman. And... It's a fair comparison. She's a very capable fighter. She keeps calm in even the most dangerous situations. She demonstrates a real, almost unconditional loyalty to Mal. Um, the But Mal does suggest that her marrying Wash was against his orders. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know whether that's a joke or serious or not. Um, Mal feel uh, where Mal can feel a bit chaotic in certain respects in early episodes of the show, especially uh, you know very sort of chaotic good. Um, Zoe to me feels very lawful good if we were to go by like D and D alignments. Um. Not in the sense that she will do what's, you know, legally right or anything, but in that she's much more level-headed and much more straightforward um, than the rest of the crew. She does have a softer side, though. We don't always see her in battle or seeing, being stern. And most of that softer side comes out when she's alone with Wash. And... It's one of the elements of the show that I really like and really enjoy. Um, is is seeing this character's dichotomy. Um, there was talk between the two of them about having kids one day. And it led some really great, very believable interactions and yeah i mean she is she is the warrior woman um and she comes across quite stoic almost in some regards but yeah she's fun i enjoyed i enjoyed zoe a lot more than i enjoyed malcolm for the most part and i think it was a shame that she gets sidelined almost in the in the film um Especially with 
some of the things that happen in the film. Um, it would have been nice to see her less in soldier mode and see her more as a character. Although she is great in the soldier mode. Um, you know, things like, uh, oh, let the captain solve this one. Something the captain has to solve himself. And he's like, no, I don't. And then she jumps in and saves him, um, being a, an early highlight between the two of them and their relationship. Um, I mentioned Wash several times, so I should probably talk about him next. That's uh, Alan Tudyk's character, Hoban Washbourne. Um, he is the Serenity's pilot. He is Zoe's husband. He is deeply in love with her, with his wife, and even expresses jealousy over her war buddy relationship and just unconditional support that she has towards Mal um, and you know that plays off quite well in the episode War Stories where him and Ma he's he's like confronting Mal while they're being tortured <laughs> which is is very interesting um, we learn that his homeworld was polluted and that he took pilot training just so he could see the stars. Um, which I think is is great. And I think is one of the things that Mal likes about him. Although him and Mal do clash more than anyone else. Um, and despite being a highly sought after pilot, he joined the Serenity. Um, the main thing he's known for is being the comic relief. He's he's funny. He makes amusing comments all the time, no matter how severe the situation seems to be. Um, but he also, you know, despite this seeming belligerence, he really cares about the people he's with. Um, you know, and the the brave face he's putting on, he's quite vulnerable and very concerned about them and you know he's completely loyal to his wife which also means that he's somewhat begrudgingly but loyal to mal because zoe is loyal to mal he may disagree with mal on certain things but he he is loyal to him and yeah he's cool i, I like that he seems to get along with everyone as well and Alan Tudyk is an actor I've I've seen in a lot of things now. I've liked him in everything I've seen him in. And, you know, Wash, you know, his performance here as Wash, it's, it's, it's great. It, it, it's good to see. He's, he's a great actor. I like it. He also has some of the best, funniest laugh out loud moments of the entire show you know even even when it's silly things like playing with dinosaurs which is by far one of his most memorable scenes um there are some more plot things i'm going to discuss about wash later on but as the spoilers i'm going to save them for a little bit Marena Baccarin plays Inara Serra. Um, Marena Baccarin now is more probably well known for her role as Vanessa in Deadpool or the character of um, Lee Tompkins that she played in Gotham. 
at least among nerd circles anyway, nerd and geek circles. Those are her two biggest roles. Um, but, you know, in this, she plays Inara. Inara is a companion. Um, and while Mal quite often derogatory refers to her as just a whore, which is one aspect of Mal's character that I found really, really, really annoying um, and really unlikable is that he is just so openly hostile to Inara. Um, and and so misogynistic to her. I don't, don't like that. But yeah, um, she's... She's not quite a whore or a prostitute, I should say. She's she feels more like a cross between um, the concept of a, a geisha and like the old uh, medieval courtesans, like a, a professional mistress almost. And she rents one of Serenity's shuttles, uh, which is her own room. And her role as a companion, like, they unionise. They are unionised sex workers, essentially, but it's implied to not just be sex that she can offer as a companion. And she enjoys quite high social standing because of her role. And because of that, her presence gives Mal's operation this degree of legitimacy and social acceptance which means that the serenity can do things like go to the core worlds which they couldn't do without inara being there um inara herself is a great character she's got this this real dignity and uh grace to her while also being very compassionate very civil even when being treated like dirt by other characters because of her job um mal and jane especially are not very kind to her and a lot of times there is this romantic tension between her and mal um the two have a lot of character traits in common um but you know they deride each other's work like she refers to mal as a petty thief um both of them refuse to act on their feelings and they're trying to keep their relationship professional. And, you know, every time they have a conversation, there's there's barbs flying back and forth. And I don't know. It's, it's interesting. She... My first thoughts on Inara are that she is the character with the most... The most about her that seems hidden. Um, while at the same time, she's a very open character, which is a very interesting dichotomy. And I think she plays... Marina Baccarin plays it very, very well. Um, everything about her seems to be... Half-truths or spiritual riddles while at the same time having this captivating presence so yeah i, I really enjoyed the character anara um in the film she's actually left the ship 
Um, there's been some time between the end of the series and the film. And she's left the ship, but she eventually comes back to it. And, you know, that seems born out of something that happens in the series. Um... but creates more tension and more drama between her and Mal than I think the series warranted. Like, they're clearly into each other. That's fine. But there's the whole will-they-won't-they thing, which is... It was a tired trope even by the time the show came out, let alone by the time I watched it eventually. You know, and it had been done so much better in things like The X-Files... Um, the, I don't know, some of it, some of the dramatic tension of it here is lost for me. Adam Baldwin plays Jane Cobb. Um, he's just straight up a mercenary. He is, in every sense of the word, a mercenary, um, not just in terms of his job, but in terms of his his whole character, his whole persona. Um, he and Mal originally met when they were on opposite sides of a dispute, and you know, while while Mal was being held at gunpoint, he offered Jane his own bunk and a higher cut than his current employer, and so Jane promptly switched sides and shot his partners at the time. And it's kind of implied that he could do that to Mal at any time as well. Now, Jane himself, he's very clearly capable in a fight. Um, and you do get the hint in sometimes that he actually acts dumber than he actually is. Like, he's actually acting dumb and like a, a meathead. But at the same time, a lot of the time, he does just come across as the meathead. And I'm not sure if that's because of the writers on the episodes, because while Joss Whedon and Tim Mania write quite a few episodes and clearly have a very good handle on these characters, some other episodes are not written by them. And I noticed this problem with... Uh, the character of Xander in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, which is obviously the best comparison here, being another Joss Whedon show, in that whenever Joss or the actual showrunners were writing an episode with Xander, they knew how to handle him. And... Actually, this was also true of Cordelia as well, especially in early Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy, uh, Cordelia and Xander were both quite intricate characters where they had layers to them and they had almost a, a facade that they presented. Um, and the facade presented itself one way, um, whereas the actual character themselves was very much another way, if that makes sense. Like, in terms of Xander, Xander could be smart he could be quite smart and quite insightful but he was often portrayed as a bit of an idiot and a bit of a jokester um 
Cordelia was very raw and very emotional. Um, but a lot of the times, especially in early Buffy, could be portrayed as having this this real entitled bitch persona. And when writers, when certain writers were writing them, you got those levels and those layers. When other characters wrote them, they did actually write Xander like an idiot or write Cordelia like a bitch without without the intricacies and without the layers there. And that's very much how Jane feels. When he's being written well by the people who clearly know what they want to do with the character, he is very, very clever. Uh, you know, he has sense um, and intelligence that's there. When other people are writing him, he's a meathead and a moron. <laughs> and just gross as well. A lot of the times he is ridiculously uncouth. Um, you know, like the worst parts of machismo. Um, but in terms of him being a mercenary, he, he does seem to turn on the crew several times or look like he's going to turn on the crew. And there's very, there's a lot of fluctuation. There's one point where Mal kind of says, you betrayed me and I'm going to throw you out the airlock. Um, however, he does have, have layers to him. It's shown that he is intensely scared of the Reapers um, perhaps more so than the rest of the crew. And despite his real amoral presentation, we learn that he actually sends like quite a lot of his money home to his mother, um, suggesting that probably there's a bit more to him than meets the eye. Um, and that what we, what we see from him is a facade, but... But yeah, it's 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 one of those where when he's written well, he's written well. When he's not, it shows and he feels almost like a very different character. Um You know, he, he feels like a bully, but at the same time he can feel protective. You know. He's essentially just the muscle. Um but he's not as one note as that would seem. Yeah, I don't know. I don't... I don't despise him or anything, but... Yeah, he's definitely the character that I can make my mind up about the least. Kaylee is uh, Kay Winnett Lee uh, Fry. She is played by a dual state. Um, she is the ship's mechanic. Um, we learn that she has, like, no formal engineering training, but she basically has just this gift for the workings of mechanical equipment, and so she uses that to keep the ship running. 
Um, in fact, we, we meet her in a, a flashback in the episode Out of Gas. Um, and we learn that she came aboard the ship because she wanted to see the engine room and, you know, ended up having sex with the engineer that uh, Mal had actually hired um, in the engine room when was found by Mal. And then she proceeds to point out, like, a flaw with the engine and repair it. And Mal immediately kicks the, the guy he hired off the ship and gives her a room. Um, and, yeah, she is... She's just a nice character. She is, you know, she's this wholesome, sweet, genuine character um, who just seems to love being on the ship, love being around the people, and really just has this nice, close relationship with all of them. Like, everyone seems to like Kaylee. She's got this really close relationship with Anara. She bonds really well with River. She has an enormous crush on Simon. Um, you know, Mal likes her. Wash likes her. Even Jane likes her. Jane is very protective over her. Um, and so, yeah, she just she's just the heart of the show. Um, Joss Whedon once said that, you know, if Kaylee believes something, it's true. You know, she's, you know, she just has a, a very good sense about people. And, you know, she's honest to a fault. Like, to the, the point, she will just, she will just say things out loud. You know, she's got a very, uh, meme-worthy line, uh, that she just sort of bullets out that's, that's very rude. Um, talking about, um, you know, basically how sexually frustrated she is. Um, but she just blurts this line out in front of Wash, Mal and Jane, all of whom seem very taken aback. And apparently because it had been a couple of years, Joss Whedon, while directing her, had to remind her that, like, you know, this is not a line that, that Ka a character like Kaylee would whisper. She would announce it quite loudly and proudly and she does and it's again one of the most iconic lines that the character has um but you know the way the line is delivered sums up so much about the character she is just openly honest um and it makes it really hard to not like her i, I can't I can't imagine there's anyone out there who doesn't like Kaylee. Like, if you watch this show, that you would not like her. Um, and if there's anyone who is, I would not trust them. Now, um, the Tams, Simon and River. Uh, Sean Mayer plays Simon. Um, he, like I said, he's on the run. He's a former trauma surgeon and, like, top 3% of his class, I think he, he says at one point. Um... So he's on the run after breaking River out of a government research facility. And it's revealed that he and River had a, a very privileged upbringing. They had access to the best education. Um, and, you know, they were very, they were very much the elite. And, 
you know, River ended up being this child prodigy. Um, you know, River is played by Summer Glau. She does a brilliant job in this. Um, but yes, she was taken to this the secret alliance facility and subject to these experiments which have left her delusional, paranoid, sometimes violent, although she has this ability to sort of sense things before they happen, um, which makes people wonder where the sort of delusions end and the reality begins. Like, can she see the future? Is she prescient? Um, but yeah, um, Simon sacrificed... Um, basically his his future in medicine his fortune everything um everything he had to rescue river from this facility and we actually see the rescue in the opening scenes of the film serenity and it's brilliant it's really good he 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 planned down to the finest detail to get her out and it works um, although there is one point where you know it's a hollow recording that we're seeing and it looks like they're almost going to be stopped and then it just kind of freezes um, which is a bit aggravating because we're like how did, how did they get out of that but I'm sure Simon had some sort of contingency now Simon's whole reason for being now is to care for River and, you know, yes, there is this, this relationship subplot between him and Kaylee, uh, where it seems that he almost seems to find a way to foil every attempt he makes um, to romance her, um, because he clearly seems interested in her as well. He's just very clumsy about it. And it's a, it's a much more interesting and relatable version of the, the will-they-won't-they they than what's happening with Anara and Mal. Because with Kaylee and Simon, we get the feeling they will end up together eventually. It's just... They're both so awkward. <laughs> that it's it, it's very relatable. Um, when we learn the story, the true story about Simon and River, it makes Simon himself very sympathetic. Um... And it's clear that he wants to keep her safe. Most of River's development, though, comes later on. Um, you know, it's not immediate. Um, but, you know, we get these... These these flashes and senses of just... How incredible she is, you know? Um but most of it comes in the film, to be honest. Um, but we get one very, very good episode towards the end of the series. But she just seems... She seems to have anxiety and uh, post-traumatic flashbacks and this almost sort of child-like sense of wonder at certain things, like there's one scene where she's just dancing and it's it's lovely and pure um but a lot of her 
a lot of her abilities don't really seem to come until later on. Um, although there are some early hints um, where she just seems erratic, like she she slashes Jane with a knife. Um, you know, she she makes the other crew members scared for the most part. Although, you know, there's still some lovely moments. Like Inara and Kaylee both seem very fond of her. Jane seems terrified of her, though. Um, Jane is frequently requesting that River and Simon get taken off the ship. He, he's because he's petrified of River, <laughs> which is very funny. But yeah, the film reveals that River is actually amazingly powerful and capable of fighting she's got this tremendous skill in hand-to-hand combat where she's able to just take down scores of people and it's it's very impressive it does seem to come a little bit out of nowhere but it's very fun to watch and then the final member of member of the ensemble and probably my favorite of them is Ron Glass as Daryl Book, Shepherd Book. Um, Shepherd is basically a pastor, and although he's presented as like this this Christian pastor, uh, he also is revealed to have this real unexplained knowledge of criminal activities, police corruption, military strategy. Uh, tactics, weapons. He's a. Uh, he seems like the character who has the most secrets. You know, we reveal at one point that he's got enough status in the alliance that he reget he receives emergency medical treatment from an alliance ship with no questions asked. Uh, he's capable of hand to hand combat and using firearms. And while he objects to violence quite a lot of the time, you know, he also joins the fight. Like, um, on a rescue mission, he actually says that while the Bible is quite specific about killing, it is, quote, somewhat fuzzier on the subject of kneecaps. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he's great. He's like a moral guide in some ways for, for Mal and the rest of them and a real voice of reason and conscience and spirituality, but at the same time, very mysterious. Um, and again, his, his character relationships are really interesting with the other characters. He, he clashes with Anara over you know, his view on what she should be doing, although he's not as... You know, he's not as openly condescending of her work as, say, like, a modern-day preacher might be of a, a sex worker. Um, he's got this really close friendship with Jane and actually tries to seem to try and to want to to educate Jane and give him some sort of spiritual core um, while at the same time working out with him in the gym. It's 
it's interesting. Um, and, you know, seeing him, you know, take down an armed opponent easily, but then at the same time prevent Jane from killing, you know, the person threatening him. It's, yeah, he's he's much more than just a simple man of the cloth. And I suppose the biggest tragedy of the show is that his story is never really explored. He's kind of sidelined in the film, even. Um, I believe it was due to scheduling conflicts, like Ron Glass wasn't quite available. Um, and it's a real shame. Now, his story is revealed in a comic book that released in 2010, uh, a graphic novel called The Shepherd's Tale, which wasn't written by Whedon himself, but was based on his notes for the character. You know, he used to be an Alliance soldier. Well, actually, technically, he's not even an Alliance soldier. He's an independence soldier who infiltrates the Alliance military using a video transmitter. Um, and his name isn't even Daryl Book. He killed the original Daryl Book and stole his identity. Um, then ended up joining the military and he attempted to organise this strike that would end the war in one day but instead led to a massacre of Alliance forces including the loss of the ship Alexander which had 4,000 people aboard and Book was then discharged and dumped on a nearby planet in an escape pod and, you know, years later ended up in a, a, a homeless shelter after being beaten by Alliance soldiers for his role in the disaster at the Alexander and had this spiritual revelation while eating a bowl of soup, which prompted him to join the church train as a shepherd. And it's ten years after that that he leaves the church as a missionary and joins the Serenity. <sighs> It's an interesting story. I don't think it's a very satisfying answer. I think it actually raises more questions with the fact that he's he was discharged from the Alliance and yet still seems to be looked after by them. Which is different to if he had been an Alliance soldier who had maybe left them you know maybe he he left them after the war and joined the church that would have been more interesting um and i think the concept of him actually being alliance and not an independent would have been far more interesting as well but it's not a terrible idea it's just not necessarily what I would have done. And I don't think it answers all of the questions about book in a satisfying way. But hey-ho. One final thing I want to mention um, before I start talking about the actual stories of Firefly um, is the actual ship itself. Um, the Serenity set 
is again another big impressive set just like the one i talked about earlier on this season with the orville where you know you have a complete set with ceilings and practical lighting and multiple levels um that the cameras can use and can move around like they use their vertical space like the crew quarters are down ladders um which i thought was really cool and it means that because it's a multiple part set you can kind of close parts off so the first unit could be shooting in one seat uh one part of the ship and second unit could be sh shooting in another section and you know it means you can move around the ship you can actually move from you know the 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 bridge um where wash is flying the ship down through the mess hall and the, the you know past the crew quarters um, towards the back of the ship the engine room where Kaylee is and the set design is very good um you know it allows the viewer to feel like you're actually in the ship um and it also shows all the known space on the ship you know you you can have a very clear map in your head of where everything is and how it all fits together um you know it's it's very beaten up and very lived in um we see some of the characters rooms and they all have elements of the actual the characters themselves like kaylee's filled kaylee's room is filled with um all these little trinkets and things that, that bring her joy um including a dress that she ends up with in one episode which is just hung above her bed um whereas like mal's room is very um very utilitarian and basic um and um you know zoe's and washes is you know similar to mal's in some respects from zoe where it's it's very utilitarian but then there's elements of washes character thrown in there as well it's, it's great um the actual painting of the ship as well like the actual set design of the walls um you know, it's very cool tones on the bridge, um, you know, blues and metallic colours, and then it moves towards the back of the ship, um, you know, get much warmer as you head towards the engine room. And obviously, because the the engine of the ship glows um, when the ship is accelerating, it's, you know, it gives this illusion of heat as you move, move towards the back. Um, and also gives an idea of the the mood associated with the the characters that are in each area um you know kaylee being warm and personable the engine room is very warm as are anara's quarters which are very warm and luxuriant on, on the shuttle meanwhile the you know the cargo deck and um the bridge are a lot cooler because they're where mal and jane spend a lot of their time you know um you know the 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 medical bay is very white because that tends to be where simon is um yeah it's it's a good design it feels real it feels practical and you know, 
while there's a lot of location shooting, I think it helps that as much care is taken to the the exterior sets as is taken for the interior of the Serenity itself. Because it's the location we spend the most time on, obviously. And it feels real. Um, yeah, and I think that definitely helps the show. Uh, the costumes as well also do tremendous work for the characters. Um, they... Uh, Shauna uh, Tripic, uh, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, uh, T-R-P-C-I-C, um, was the costume designer. Um, she clearly took her inspiration from a lot of westerns, but also like uh, Feudal Japan and World War II, um, and a lot of, you know, not, not so much sci-fi aesthetic, um, but the, a lot of the characters have very definite, very definite themes to their wardrobe. Um, a lot of the clothes are very practical and very sort of modern day as well at the same time. Like Jane wears a lot of T-shirts and cargo pants. Um, Mal's outfit, with, especially with his long jacket, is very reminiscent of Westerns. He wears, um, you know, shirts with... Um, you know, button-up shirts and, um, you know, trousers with uh, braces on. Uh, and, and then obviously his long, long brown duster. Um, for River, she uses a lot of, like, bright tones in her outfits. Um, and very soft clothing, but then she wears these these big stomping army boots as well. Um, and it... it, it exemplifies who she is as a character because she's like this soft sensitive girl but with this like hard inner center from everything she's been through um simon contrasts with the the rest of the characters um you know a lot of them are dressed in um reds and browns and very homely colors and simon's dressed in a lot of um whites and you know the crew are dressed in like cotton whereas he's wearing like wool and tweed and satins and silk and a lot of stiff fabrics um and he's a bit of a he's just you know he comes across as a bit of a dandy but he does kind of loosen up and by the time you get to serenity he's is in more of the cottons that the rest of them are wearing um kaylee apparently was originally planned to be an asian character um and so a lot of her character her outfits reflect japanese and chinese youth um you know but also with elements of like chinese communist posters and like rosie the riveter um <laughs> so she's got you know these bright colorful outfits underneath overalls <laughs> you know and dungarees and things like that that are very practical um inara's got these these gorgeous outfits very feminine loads of bright colors very attractive um as you'd expect um you know the alliance as well um the alliance have very 
very cool coloured costumes. Um, they look very militaristic, but at the same time, their whole aesthetic, when we see them, is very boring. Um, they don't look so much as as Nazi as you might expect, just very practical grey and blue military. Um, so I don't think it's a Nazi aesthetic in the same way as, like, Star Wars with the Empire, for example. Um, but it's also not as warm as, say, something like the Federation in Star Trek. Um, the armour for the soldiers, actually, is the armour from Starship Troopers. Um... And I suppose, again, Starship Troopers seems... That's a bit more of the olives and and greens um, that you get in sort of modern American military... Mod, modern Western military um, in Starship Troopers, but it's a similar sort of design aesthetic. Um, Joss Whedon also pointed out in the commentary that um, bad guys wear hats and good guys don't, um, which I find very interesting because... Uh, Jane is the only cast member that gets a prominent hat and it's it's a knitted hat that is sent to him from his mother um, and he wears it in episodes where he tends to be a bit more duplicitous and be a bit more mercenary um, sort of suggesting that Jane is going to be evil this episode because he's wearing his hat um, it's quite prominent. It's, it's one of his prominent features from his wardrobe that is absent in the film. Um, he doesn't wear it in the film, and that's because Jane is much more heroic in the film. Now, um, the stories of Firefly, the episodes. I want to say, before I talk about the episodes themselves, that this is where the problems with fox become apparent and and this is where a lot of the uh the fan range for how fox screwed the show over um become prominent and become justified i think in a lot of respects basically um joss whedon said he struggled with fox over the tone of the show um specifically with mal um Fox kept pressuring Whedon to make Mal more jolly. They feared he was too dark in the original pilot. Despite them approving that pilot and leading it to a series, um, they wanted another pilot. Um, you know, they, they specifically pointed out this, the moment where Mal suggests that he might space Simon and River by throwing them out the airlock as something that they, they didn't like. Um, they also apparently didn't like that the show involved the nobodies who, quote, get squished by policy instead of the actual policy makers. And in fact, Fox decided that the, the two-hour pilot, Serenity, which was clearly intended as the pilot of the show, um, would not be the first episode and requested a a new pilot, essentially, for the show, which led to... Um, Joss Whedon hurriedly writing the episode The Train Job, the second episode, to act as the new pilot. Um, Fox then proceeded to promote Firefly as an action comedy, um, whereas it's not really a comedy show. It's, it's very serious, um, quite dour in a lot of respects. There's, It's much more of a character study. Um 
And of course, they then preempted the show in its original run with sporting events or an Adam Sandler film in one instance, um, as well as airing the shows out of order. Um, which obviously severely hampered the show. In fact, the way they episode the sh- the episode order they used for the show is just terrible. They aired episode two, the the train job, the second pilot, episode three, then episode six, then took a break for a week, then did episodes seven, eight, four, five, and nine, then took another break, then took another break then episode 10, then episode 14, and then finally the two-hour pilot Serenity, which they split into two parts. Episodes 12, 13, and 11, um, and they were planned to air in that order, I should say, were completely left off and didn't actually premiere until a year later when they were aired on the Sci-Fi Channel in the UK. The show was also aired in what is quite commonly called in America the Friday night death slot. Basically, television audiences strive to get an audience in 18 to 45, or 18 to 35, I think it might be now, um, or might have been at the time, anyway, uh, age demographic. The thing is, most of that demographic don't tend to be home on a Friday night, and so anything airing on a Friday night is generally considered to be risky. You know, while it's it's primetime television time, it's not necessarily prime for that key audience, that key demographic that they're trying to attract. Now, at the same time as Firefly was debuting, um, a show called Fastlane was debuting. Um, which was another big Fox show that they were very much hyping. You know, it starred Tiffany Thiessen from um, Saved by the Bell. It was a, an action crime drama series. Um, and, yeah, Fox were giving it a lot of push. Um, and so that got the the open primetime slot um on the Wednesday night and Firefly got the Friday night slot. This isn't to say that the ratings for Firefly were bad. They were not by any means. Apparently it had the highest ratings of any Joss Whedon show and it had decent figures at the time for pretty much every other network, but Fox didn't consider it enough. And, you know, despite fan campaigns including a full page ad before the cancellation uh dvd sales um including fourteen thousand dollars worth of dvds being sent to u.s ships um nothing was able to convince uh fox to to renew the show in fact they even cancelled it um while there was still like a week of primary filming to do on the final episodes um, and so the crew had to film for a whole week after being told by Joss Whedon that they'd been cancelled. Um, the producer at Fox who 
had helped Joss Whedon get this greenlit, did actually give him the rights to take it elsewhere, which is what led to the film Serenity, um, which was published by Universal, distributed by Universal, I should say. There was also a lot of argument with Fox about how the show should be, what format it should be presented in. Um, Joss Whedon filmed scenes in widescreen. Uh, you know, he'd put actors on the edge of both sides. Um, and this leads to a few scenes on the on the home media releases where objects or setups aren't visible in the original 4x3 broadcasts. Um, you know, it's a shame. Um, and, and Joss Whedon insisted on filming in widescreen for the eventual DVD release, but keeping objects in frame so that it would work in 4x3 ratio for television at the time. Um, and Fox, you know, were insistent on everything being 4x3. And, you know, and the show also goes for a handheld filming style. And this was quite popular in some respects at the time. Battlestar Galactica uses it as well, and I really like it in Battlestar Galactica because it's it makes the the, the series feel like a documentary in some respects. Um, you know, a boots on the ground documentary, and because of how the plot for the reboot series of Battlestar Galactica is structured, I think that works very very well. Um. Firefly doesn't seem feel like a documentary though. And so sometimes this this handheld rough look um can work. You know, you've got things that are deliberately misframed or out of focus um to pull the focus onto the characters and and things like that. So it looks a little bit a bit less clean. Um but sometimes it can be jarring. Um, so some episodes I think it really works, some episodes I don't think it does. I think it might be down to skills of certain directors. Um, but yeah, they they do use um, quite clean, steady cam movements whenever they film the Alliance, though, which creates a nice juxtaposition visually. Um <laughs> But yeah, the actual episodes themselves. As I said, the two-hour pilot, Serenity, um, Fox didn't like it. They rejected it, saying that it lacked action and the captain was too dour. Um, they specifically pointed out a scene where the crew backed down to a crime boss, saying that it implies that the crew are, are nothing. And they wanted Whedon to write the new pilot, the train job. Um, and at the direction of the train of Fox, um, they got Whedon to add larger-than-life characters. So there's a henchman called Crow, and there's two men who are like the hands of blue, um, you know, who, who give a sort of X-Files-style recurring villain mythology hint um, towards the end of the episode... The pilot, I think, is decent, though. It does a, a very good job of 
introducing the characters, um, it's it's nothing stellar. It's it's more captivating moments are things like the little character actions rather than the big showy set pieces. Plot wise, essentially the the crew salvages some alliance crates. Um, but a Firefly class ship is spotted leaving, you know, the this Alliance ship, this derelict. And so, you know, when they try to offload them to a fence of theirs called Badger, um, you know, he won't touch them. So they find another buyer, um, and on the way to find the other buyer, they take on the passengers of Book, Simon... And Lawrence Dobson. Um, it turns out, though, that Dobson um, is actually an Alliance agent there to capture Simon um, for what he's done. You know, he actually calls an Alliance cruiser to them. Um, and shoots Kaylee in the stomach. Um you know, before they find River inside the crate and they manage to deal with Dobson. It's very clever. Um and Mal choosing Simon and River over being paid by Dobson is interesting, kind of highlights exactly who he is in quite a prominent way we also get the first hint of the reavers um that chase them you know they managed to to i don't think they managed to to sell the gear they um i think they they lose the gear Um, in a confrontation, so they, they so everything that they're, they're it, it's kind of a you know, the adventure goes from bad to worse for them, but it's the it's the plot threads with the characters and that that really help to drive the show. You know, there are some exposition dumps that reveal things about the world but a lot of them are done to simon who is almost a stranger um to this this life on the frontier at the, the edges of the verse that uh, all the rest are in um you know like zoe explains who the reavers are as the ship flies past them um and you know it's an exposition dump but it's done in a way that feels natural almost I think it does a good job of outlining that it's the characters that are the important part of this show, not the plot. You know, the the story with the Alliance crates isn't important. What's important is the character moments. Um, you know, even even Dobson isn't important. You know, it does open with the scene of the war, um, which helps to set the tone as well by being something quite relatable, um, with the weapons and clothes not being that far removed from what you would expect in 
a modern setting or even a period setting um in some respects um until the the fleet of spaceships arrives over serenity valley and then it's like oh okay that now it's a sci-fi show whereas before it was a war story and then it goes into a western and yeah i think it i think it does a very good job of setting the expectations of what you should expect from firefly and each character gets enough scenes to develop them or to hint more about them um you know zoe you know wash manages to fly them past the the reaver ship without them getting noticed um you know they manage to escape the reavers after a, a tense confrontation and and zoe's just like i need this man you know captain can you fly because i need this man to come and rip my clothes off um <laughs> you know it's just you know that's very real or um Inara suggesting that Book might sermonise her, and he's like, no, no sermons, just wanted to see if you were hungry. Um, you know, a Book taking down an agent, even, hinting at his, his past. And, you know, or, or Jane hovering around while Simon helps, you know, helps heal Kaylee, you know, and how, how we sort of perched outside the the medical room. Because he doesn't trust Simon, but he cares for Kaylee. <sighs> you know, you get a, a really good feeling at the end of the episode of who each of the cast are and what their relationships are with each other. And I think that's exactly what a good pilot should do. It should draw you into the show and make you care for the characters, even if you only care for one or two of them. Um, and I think this pilot does that. And I think the fact that this pilot was then aired completely out of order and used almost as the epilogue for the series rather than the start is bizarre the train job though the second pilot is definitely more immediately thrilling we get another we get almost new introductions at each of the characters um which can feel a bit jarring when you watch it immediately after serenity um but makes sense plot wise though they get contracted by a crime lord to rob a train for some crates that he really wants they find out that the crates that they've robbed are actually desperately needed medicine and they find a town that they can give the medicine to and Mal decides to give the medicine to the townspeople and return the crime lord's money. Um, but then the crime lord, Niska, sends his henchmen after them first, and, you know, a fight ensues, and the crew manage to win um, and drop the crates off. Um... And, you know, then they deal with the henchmen. Um, and then we get the nice tease at the end with the Hands of Blue on the Alliance cruiser, um, where they inquire about a girl, um, and they show the captain a photo of the, of River Tam. You know, because these, these Alliance troops saw the crew on the train. 
and yeah, it's a very simple, simple little episode with a, a simple little plot. Um, and it does its job as a second pilot. I think Serenity does the job better at introducing all the, who all the characters are, um, probably because it's got a larger time frame in which to do it, being a feature length, whereas Time Train Job is just a normal episode. But it's it's good enough for what it does. The third episode, Bushwhacked, um, the, they find a derelict ship in space and they explore it and find that it's been attacked by the Reavers. And they find a survivor who Simon treats um, and then, you know, that then the ship gets found by an Alliance cruiser um, and armed troops board the ship um, led by Commander Harkin. You know, Harkin detains them and looks for the Tams, but um, Mal has told them to hide on the outside of the ship in spacesuits, um, which they are doing, uh, which is very clever. Harkin accuses Mal of attacking the settler ship and reveals that the survivor has split his tongue and says that Mal did it to keep him from speaking. Um, but Mal realises that the survivor being traumatised is now becoming a Reaver himself. He's being driven mad. He describes the Reavers in the episodes as being former settlers who were driven insane by seeing the nothing at the edge of the galaxy. And that is a very cool concept um, for the Reavers. And, you know, this this survivor then proceeds to go on rampage. Um, and Mal saves Harkin's life by killing the Reaver, um, knowing where he's going to go. Um, and as a result, Harkin allows the crew to go, although he still confiscates all their cargo that they, they took from the ship. Um... And the cruiser then destroys the derelict as the, the Serenity flies away. It's a very interesting episode. That a lot of the, the interrogation scenes are great in this episode, showing um, the Alliance interrogating the crew. And some of the scenes are absolutely brilliant. Like Zoe, Jane um, and Wash especially are so funny. To watch being interrogated um, <laughs> but uh you know and it gives us some good insight into their characters <sighs> yeah it's um it's clever it introduces the alliance as um as more of a, a threat and reveals that, you know, they are desperately still looking for the Tams. And the, what it does with the Reavers are, is very, very interesting. And I wish that aspect of the Reavers had been explained more. Not that I dislike the eventual revelations that we get about the Reavers, but the idea of just going mad by staring at the edge of the galaxy 
um, you know, seeing nothing. That's a very eldritch concept. Um, and that sort of eldritch horror I quite like. Um, and I like it when it's done well. And in this episode, it's done very well. Although the actual look of the Reaver as he's mutilating himself is a bit... It's a bit camp, <laughs> to be fair. Um, still good, though. The fourth episode, Shindig, um, is the first one not written by either Joss Whedon or Tim McNear. Um, Tim McNear, sorry. Um, it's still a very good episode. And I don't think it's directed by Whedon or McNear either. Um, but it does feel a bit like filler. Um, they go to an Alliance World, Persephone, for shore leave. Um, Inara finds a client. Um, Mal and Jane get forced by Badger to, to do a job, and it means they have to... Um, they have to sort of infiltrate this, this big party. <laughs> you know... Um, And Inara's there as as companion to this aristocrat while Mal and Kaylee are infiltrating it. And this is the episode I talked about earlier with the big banquet table. And it's fine. I think it's it's very interesting. Kaylee can't mix with the the debutantes, so then mixes with the um the men. And it's a lot of fun. A lot of the, the fun aspects of Kaylee really come out here. But the actual... Um, the actual plot itself is really weak. Um, Mal ends up fighting the aristocrat that Inara's with because of... Yeah, because of plot-related reasons and how everything ties together. And they end up having to have a duel. And Mal is completely incompetent at professional dueling. Um, but um, Mal manages to win with help from... Help from Manara. <sighs> So yeah, it's it's a good one for character development. It's not it's not really an episode I would want to to revisit necessarily. It feels much more like a period piece. Um a lot of the old sort of the British uh the regency period epics with the dueling and the the pomp and the Yeah, that's that's how it feels. Um, to me, and I've never been a huge fan of that particular genre, um, or at least that particular sort of setting. It's it's just not a period of history I'm particularly interested in, and it's all uh, you know, rich people and their their petty problems. Yeah, I don't I don't care for it. Um, it's helped here by having characters like Kaylee and Mal who are just completely at odds with that um uh, 
and yeah, there's some interesting things. There's confrontation between Badger and um, Jane and the rest of the crew members. And River manages to to get one up on Badger, which is quite interesting. Badger is played by um, Mark Allen Shepard, who's like a recurring... I think he's most prominent for his roles in Supernatural, but he's he's a recurring actor that I've seen in a lot of science fiction properties. He's in Galactica, he's in Star Trek, he's in many things, and he is he's a lot of fun as Badger. Um, I think this is Badger's last episode, um, but it's definitely his better one, and he's he's one of the only recurring characters that we get. Um, Niska is the other one who will come back later too, but yeah, he's. It's it's fun enough. I think the B plot on the ship is more entertaining than the 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 duel and everything at the shindig, shall we say? But yeah, the A plot is very Jane Austen style, and yeah, I'm just not a fan of that um, particular type of work. So, it while it's not terrible, I don't hate it. I. I one fav- fact uh, I read about this episode, though, uh, while researching, which I thought was very good, is that the costume, the big ball gown that Inara wears to the ball itself, was actually made out of the costume designer's wedding dress. Um, and that is very cool. <laughs> the episode Shindig was read- written by um, Janus Benson, who had did work on Buffy as well. Um, so Joss Whedon, I think, was bringing in a lot of people that he'd worked with to direct, to write and direct these other episodes. And that's definitely good. But again, like I said, sometimes those people don't know those characters as well. Um, and that's not really obvious in... in these next couple of episodes but it will come up later on um safe is the fifth episode that was directed uh written by drew greenberg who again has worked on buffy and directed by michael grossman um it's mainly focused on simon and river's backstory there's a lot of flashbacks in this episode featuring zach efron as a young um Simon in his television debut um and you know it reveals how River is sent to this elite very secretive academy and then Simon becomes concerned when she sends him a letter referring to events which never happened uh and the parent their parents think that she's playing games while Simon believes it's a message asking for help and he then gets arrested for trespassing while trying to find her you know it's it's very clever it's very interesting um given the insight into these two characters um Simon's still trying to explore River's condition in the modern day um But you know, 
it's just a nice episode this is the one with river's dance sequence this is the one where book also gets shot and uh, you have the the mystery over you know what connections he has with the alliance um to get such preferential treatment and yeah this this feels the most western out of a lot of the episodes you know it's a very frontier planet they they you know this the folk on this planet kidnap simon and river um to give him responsibilities as the town doctor um you know saying that he's he's where he should be but then they try and burn river as a witch um because she's able to um to you know read the the memories of a, a young mute girl <sighs> yeah it's, it's it's the most western episode i think and you know it's it's quite cool when mal comes in and and saves them and simon says you know why did you even come back for us and mal says you know you're part of my crew and Simon says, but you don't even like me. <laughs> says, you're on my crew. Why are we still talking about this? <sighs> it's not a terrible episode. It's, again, just another one that's kind of is. It's not one I'm, I'm particularly interested in revisiting, to be honest. Um... Joss Whedon wrote the sixth episode, which is Our Mrs. Reynolds. This introduces the recurring character of Saffron, played by Christina Hendricks. Um, it starts with a, a very Western set piece of like a, a covered wagon um, <laughs> being robbed. Um, but it turns out that it's actually Mal and Jane as the, the driver and his wife. Um, and they're actually dealing with the bandits it's interesting uh a woman stows away with them um and says her name is saffron and that she is now mal's wife and that um mal might have inadvertently um married her by accepting um a wreath of flowers from her and taking part in a local marriage ritual um You know, and it's an interesting episode. The the main the, the the twist doesn't take too long though. The twist is that Saffron is actually yeah. We we get the reveal that Saffron is actually part of a group trying to you know to swindle ships essentially, and, and strip them for parts and deal with their crews. And, you know, she has a confrontation with Inara after taking out several members of the crew. Um, takes out Mal with a narcotic lace lipstick. She um, tries her wiles on Wash, but is obviously unsuccessful because of his love for Zoe. Um... 
you know, she tries to seduce Inara, um, but Inara plays along um, before realising, you know, Inara's obviously aware she's lying and compliments her on her deception as well. Um, Saffron manages to escape, although Mal tracks her down in the end of the episode and basically says, don't try and trip me again or I will kill you. Um, And Saffron even admits that she you know, respects Mal for not taking advantage of her, like a lot of her previous marks have done. Um, you know, Mal is trying to encourage her to be her own woman. But, you know, the crew managed to escape. They managed to, you know, live to fight another day. And Saffron gets away. And this is where you get the first hint of the, the romantic tension between Inara and Mal in a more obvious way. Um, you know, she kisses Mal while he's unconscious and gets, uh, you know, gets drugged by the lipstick as well. It's, it's a good episode. It's fun. Saffron is a very fun guest character. Um, and there's a lot of very, very funny moments. Um, the, the good Bible, uh, quote his um one of the one of the the ones that stands out in my mind um no surprise that this episode is written by joss whedon it tends to have some of the best dialogue some of the more intricate um set pieces um and it, it, you know in the same way as with buffy and angel he has a very clear idea of what he wants this show to be and as a result, it's one of the better episodes of the series. I will say the praise I'm giving on on Joss Whedon. Um, Joss Whedon has obviously been accused of some very horrible and offensive things on the sets of Buffy and Angel. Um, a lot of that does not seem to be linked to Firefly, at least not as yet. I don't think... Um, any of the Firefly cast have accused him of anything. Um, but that doesn't mean they didn't happen. Um, but he is a good writer. He is a good screenwriter. <sighs> that doesn't excuse anything he's done. Um, but there's a reason why people want to go back to things that he's written even with everything he's been accused of you know there's a reason why people relate to firefly or serenity or avengers or toy story which he helped to write or even episodes of buffy things like the body which i watched recently is an intensely powerful influential episode for so many reasons and was a masterpiece of television and is far and away the best episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that I've seen so far by far and yet he is a problematic individual and I do not want any of my praise for his skill as a writer to be seen as an endorsement or an excusation 
of his, I don't even think that's a word, but I'm using it anyway, an excusation of his actions. So I'm just putting that out there before I praise him too much. You know, he is a good writer. He is. He's a good writer. He has made some very, very good television. Some of his writing is a bit formulaic in places. Um, you know, there's a lot of characters says something, other characters says something, other characters does a joke. Um, or, you know, character outlines the situation, that situation immediately happens. You know, an unlikely situation. You know, he has form he has some formulaic approaches and some tropes that he uses in his own writing um that have become sort of synonymous with him that doesn't mean he's a bad writer and when he when he writes really well he does it really well there's a reason these characters stick in the mind characters like buffy and malcolm reynolds and angel and you know his takes on the avengers you know um but yeah, I'm not excusing anything he's been accused of. I'm not um, making allowances for that. What he has done, what he's been accused of by people like um, Ray Fisher and Charisma Carpenter is horrifying and deplorable. And you know, he's been accused of some 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 pretty terrible things. And so, you know, and some pretty appalling behaviour. And so I don't want to excuse that by praising the writing. I'm not, I'm not praising the man himself. So just putting that out there before I get any further. Episode 7, Janestown, um, was written by Ben Edlund, the, the creator of The Tick. Um, it's fun. It's it's just a fun episode. Jane discovers that he's become a local folk legend. It, it, you can kind of predict where the story's going to go from that outline. Um, but, you know, it's... It's just fun. It's interesting. It's a nice little character piece. There's some nice moments between Simon and Kaylee. Um... Yeah, it's it's predictable and formulaic in its own way, but it's it's still a good episode. It's one of the better ones. Um, Out of Gas, the eighth episode that was written by Tim Minia. I really kind of like this one. It's a stylistic change from the rest of the series in that it tells its story in three different time frames there's events in the present events in the near past that lead immediately into the present and events in the past that led to the formation of the crew basically the ship suffers a catastrophe they've only got a few hours of oxygen left and you know we see how that catastrophe happens how mal tries to save the crew and then flashbacks to show how Mal gathered the crew himself. It's a very good episode. I really like this one. Um, you know, seeing how the crew comes together is great. Um, 
you know, he stays with the ship, um, you know, whilst while it sends out a distress call, sends the crew in two different shuttles out in different directions. And, you know, he has to deal with um, people who try and salvage the ship and end up shooting him. And, yeah, it's... And we find out that, that Zoe actually betrayed his orders and came back to the ship. Um, and that saved him. Yeah, and the actual episode itself, the, 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 the flashbacks are... are great. Um, you know, in how we meet the crew, how how he convinces Zoe to become his first mate, how he hires Wash, um, you know, how Kaylee becomes the engineer, uh, which I've already mentioned, how Inara comes on the ship, and even how Jane joins him. And... And even how he finds the ship itself. And... Yeah, I like it. Um, yeah, I, I I quite like this episode. It's just nice and touching and simple. And, you know, the, there's even stylistic changes in how each of the scenes are coloured uh, and how they're shot. Like the lighting rigs are different in each episode in each time frame like the flashbacks in the past have like these warm tones reds and yellows and golds but with lots of shadow and blurred lines and dark areas as well um the scenes in the present or near past have like normal lighting and they're bright with like really vivid color um but then scenes that are in the the present um are lit with like this this bluish purplish tint and you know these quite sharp contrast and you know the the two present near present near future timelines kind of catch up to each other um which becomes very interesting to watch as well um and Joss Whedon actually listed it as one of his his three favorite projects he's ever been involved in, and I can see why. It's it's one of the more creative episodes, and definitely one of the better produced episodes of Firefly. Like, if you were to highlight a particular episode as being a great example of television, um, this episode out of gas is it. The next episode ariel is again another good one this one's more a plot-based one um continuing the intrigue over the tams it sees the return of the hands of blue um simon suggests they break into a medical facility uh, the crew can steal um drugs which they can sell on the frontier and he gets to scan river um and learn more about her condition um this is the episode where River wounds Jane with a knife. And so Jane 
betrays the Tams, tries to sell them out to a, a federal agent, McGuinness, and gets punished for doing so by Mal. Um, and we learn that River's brain is missing its amygdala, which means she's not... You know, she can't suppress her emotions or negative thoughts. And I don't know how accurate that is. Um, but I know that's, you know, lobotomy and taking away pieces of the brain um, used to be a way to treat different medical health conditions and was prevented because it had effects like this. You know, all sorts of bizarre side effects when you start cutting into people's brains. Um <laughs> It's definitely interesting. It's it's a very good um you know, it's a very good heist episode and there's a lot of intrigue around the um the Tams and their situation and the hands of blue that are chasing them. And yeah, it's just a fun a fun little episode. Um does what it does very well, doesn't overstay its welcome. I like it. Um, the next episode, episode 10, War Stories, picks up off of the back of this. Um, you know, Simon is investigating what the Alliance have done to her, um, what they, what this purpose of the surgery was done, was on River. Um, meanwhile, Niska finds out about the location of the Firefly, uh, not the Firefly, the Serenity. Um, there's also some really nice character moments. Um, like Kaylee chasing River around the cargo bay for an apple, despite the fact there's plenty of apples. And it's just because Kaylee wanted to play with River. Um, you know, it's... You know, and, and the, you know, the apples came from Jane. Jane bought a whole load of apples in. And Zoe and Wash are puzzling over why he's being so generous. Um, and, yeah, then then there's a, a bit of jealousy between Wash uh, and Mal over Zoe. Over, uh, Wash is somewhat jealous of... Um, of Zoe's relationship with Mal in this episode and says there's no room for two husbands in their marriage. It's a bit of a tired trope, but the way it's explored when Wash goes on to a mission with Mal instead of Zoe and then they end up getting captured by Niska and tortured and... There's a lot of great character moments between them as they're being tortured. It's... Yeah, it's... It's a good one. It's intriguing. You get some more hints. This is where you start to get hints of what was done to River as she... Um, she takes down a load of attackers with a gun pretty much effortlessly um, while Kaylee's kind of cowering and terrified... Um, 
You know, Zoe comes in to try and free Wash and Mal from Niska, and he says you can only take one, so she takes Wash, obviously. But they, they decide to try and rescue Mal anyway. And, yeah, it's... It's interesting. Um, it's again a nice, a nice little character study. Um, but the the more interesting bit is the the final moments where um, Kaylee is kind of scared by River now after River killed those guys, and doesn't want to play with her. And that is very interesting. It's the idea of what's happened to River is now changing, you know, changing even Kaylee's opinion of her. It's, it's, it's a dark, dark tone to take. But yeah, it works really well as an epilogue to the previous episode. So, um, you know, it carries over a lot of the character threads from that, like Jane's betrayal, um, Simon's investigation of River, um, while introducing its own new character threads, um, such as between Wash and Wash, Zoe and Mal. So, yeah, it's definitely a good episode. Episode 11, Trash, um, written by Ben Edland and Jose Molina, who also wrote Ariel, um, the one where they break into the, the hospital, um, features the return of Saffron, and you know she now brings the crew to help her steal an artifact and obviously there's betrayals and backstabbing and we reveal that saffron isn't her name she has other names they even call her yosaf bridge at one point because they know her by yolanda saffron and bridget <laughs> and yeah it's interesting to to see this character as like a you know, what could have been a recurring villain had the show continued. Um, you know, a recurring antagonist, not necessarily a villain. Um, because she's not a villain in the same way that, like, the Hands of Blue are, or that Niska is. But she's very clearly uh, an antagonist and a foil, I suppose, would be the correct term, for, for Mal especially. Um, but again, this episode is... Um, a good one for dealing with some some character threads like the concept of Jane's betrayal um, comes in and, and Simon reveals to Jane that he knew about his plan to sell out the Tams um, you know and River threatens that she can kill him with her brain <sighs> So yeah, it's it's interesting. I like it. It's and yeah, it's implied at the end of the episode that Saffron's going to be imprisoned. But you know, I think if if the the show had carried on, she would have come back. Um, I think it was too good a recurring character to not bring back. To be fair, the twelfth twelfth epi episode, the message, um, written by Whedon and Maneer again. Um, it was actually the final episode produced um, 
in the show, the final episode filmed and produced during the production. It features a former independent soldier um, whose body gets given to Mal and Zoe um, with an alliance officer chasing after him as they try and bring him home to his family. The reveal comes what, that he's he's not dead. Um, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, it's really quite, quite interesting. Um, you know, he's not dead. He's actually smuggling organs. Uh, Tracy, his name is, uh, Private Tracy Smith. And he, he was one of the survivors of, um, the Battle of Dukang along with, uh, Mal and Zoe. And, you know, they share old war stories, but then there's there's a lot of tragedy to it as well. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's... It's a very interesting character study of a story um, for Tracy. It's... Um, It's a very good kind of horrors of war style episode. And you know the, the what Tracy is involved in is a perfectly great sci-fi concept as well. Um So yeah, it's an it's an enjoyable one. Um although a bit you know, a bit dark, not necessarily one to revisit, I suppose. Um, I know, I mean, it's worth a revisit, but it's it's not an easy watch in parts. And, you know, the final scene of the episode was also the final scene filmed, um, which makes it especially poignant um, for the... when you know that context... Heart of Gold, the 13th episode, is probably my favourite episode of the show. Um, it's written by... Well, besides Out of Gas, obviously. It's written by Brett Matthews. Um, this is the show where the problems with Jane's writing becomes apparent to me, where it's it's... He's been shown to be clever in previous episodes, and we've had a run of previous episodes of him being clever um but this episode he is just dumb and quite brutish and i think it's because the writer maybe didn't know the character very well um essentially a, a brothel on a frontier town is being threatened uh by a local landowner um the brothel was run by a former companion um nandy um you know she's no longer part of the uh companions guild um but yeah she one of her one of her women um petaline is visibly several months pregnant and the landowner believes it's his and 
Yeah, um, Nandi contacts Inara, so the crew come to protect the brothel. And it leads to a very standard, a lot of standard Western tropes. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of nice character beats um, in some respects. And it's got possibly one of the best exchanges and most popular exchanges in the show between Wash and Kaylee quite early on. Um, with the, the Wash, tell me I'm pretty. Um, which is, yeah, one of the lines that made me fall about when I first heard it. Um, the actual episode itself, it, it's quite good. I, I really quite enjoyed it. Um, it's not perfect by any means, but it's definitely good. And I think I think all three of these, the last three episodes that I've spoken about, are, are good. And it makes it even more of a shame that they weren't originally broadcast um, in the run on Fox. People had to wait an extra year until they aired on the Sci-Fi Channel, which also aired the show in the right order <laughs> um, to, to be seen. Um, which is a shame, because they're, they're good episodes with some some decent guest stars. Um, so, yeah. I didn't hate it. I, th I thought it was good. There's one final episode to talk about, um, and then the film and some other prospective ideas. So no more running. I am to misbehave. The final episode of serenity not the not the final episode filmed but the series finale is the episode objects in space objects in space is written and directed by joss whedon the idea for it came from tim Mania. essentially river is getting worse um she, at the start of the episode, picks up what she sees as a twig on the floor, but is actually a very big gun. Um, and, you know, it, it's clear that reality is blurring for her and she's getting worse. And, you know, the the... It's at that point that a bounty hunter arrives by the name of Jubal Early. Um, Jubal Early is actually the name of a huge white supremacist slave owner back in the, the American Civil War. And in this, he's played by a black man, which is very fun. Um, <laughs> but that's uh, another, another part of the story. Um, he's played by Richard Brooks, who does a, a very good job at playing this intensely threatening character um like perfectly despicable like he he arrives on the ship um and tries to take it over and he's after river who by this point the crew are speculating is a reader and having psychic powers and they're speculating whether she's dangerous um you know he boards serenity he subdues Mal, he locks the crew in their cabins, he surprises Kaylee in the engine room and threatens to rape her, which is... <sighs> I hate the idea of rape anyway, like, as a concept, but it being used in this story, and I'm going to come back to this in a minute, 
um, with another story idea that was never picked up. Um, yeah, it's an idea I, I hate, and it's it's one of the more jarring aspects of this this episode. Um, but you know, he he takes down book, um, and then he confronts Simon, and threatens him. And reveals that he is pursuing River. And he's he's very bizarre. His dialogue is very dramatic. You know, he waxes poetic. He shares his opinions unprompted on various different topics. And threatens that Kaylee will suffer unless Simon helps him find his sister. They search the ship. They've run into Inara. Um, and early takes her, you know, beats her when she tries to appeal to his emotional side. Um, and this is when River responds over the ship's intercom, um, just as early as threatening Simon that, you know, running at the end of his patience. And River says that she, she didn't want to leave Serenity, but no one wanted her there, so she melted away and merged with the ship herself. And while she's taunting early like this, she also gets in touch with Kaylee and tells her to cut herself free. And she starts to reveal all these dark secrets about Early's past, which is unnerving him and distracting him. And Kaylee manages to escape and free the rest of the crew. And River tells Mal she has a plan to deal with Early. Early becomes suspicious because River mentions how shiny it looks and he realises that she isn't part of Serenity but is in fact on his ship and broadcasting from there. And he becomes frantic and tries to bargain with her and she says, no, she's ready to surrender. She only cares for her shipmates and she thinks that leaving them is probably for the best. Um, and, you know, Simon tries to attack him but gets shot in the leg. Um... And Early puts his helmet on and exits Serenity. And as soon as he's free of the artificial gravity, Mal in a spacesuit appears and shoves him off into the depths of space. And River puts his ship on a course to nowhere and returns back to Mal, who welcomes her as part of the crew. And it's a very good conclusion to the plot thread that had been building since Ariel of exactly what was the issue with River and how she fit into all this. And... Yeah, it's very clever. Um, and the the ending for it feels as much like an ending as the show looked like it was going to get for a long time. You know, Inara, who already... Who already became convinced to leave at the end of Heart of Gold after um, Mal slept with Nandi. Um, you know, she turns away from Mal when he tries to examine her, her cut lip. Um, you know, um, there's some nice character moments between Jane and Book and you know, Kaylee and River have their friendship restored, so they're playing jacks, and Kaylee tells him a ra tells River a racy story. Um, 
and you know Simon gets Zoe and Wash to help him treat his bullet wounds by sort of guiding them through it and yeah it just feels like a nice conclusion to a lot of the plot threads that had been building without feeling like a finale if that makes sense um it's not a, a true series finale but it's the idea of this is done for now um but now that early has been dealt with someone else will come for the tams for river and whoever comes next might be even more dangerous it's also a very well presented episode it's very existential there's a lot of um quite interesting dialogue quite interesting acting on the part of river and early in the way that they move through the serenity um you know early when he arrives on it and then um river in the start of the episode and yeah there's a lot of interesting parallels between the two um perhaps implying more to the character of early but obviously we never see him again but you know they're, they're also in counterpoint to each other river perceives things in a way that brings wonder whereas early perceives things with a much more dystopian view a uh, much more despairing view you know um there's also a concept you know concept of bad faith you know he he denies responsibility for his actions um you know river accuses him of hurting people and he says well, it was part of the job and she says no it's why you took the job you know it's there's some really interesting character moments in this one and it it starts the evolution of river into a different character while also fully fully including her as part of the crew which she'd never really felt like up until this point Now, there were plans for unproduced episodes. Alan Tudyk and Adam Baldwin both weighed in on ideas they had, but there's no word about whether those were actually ever planned as official ideas. Obviously, I already spoke about The Shepherd's Tale, which would have explored Shepherd's, uh, Shepherd Book's backstory, um, you know, based on Joss Whedon's notes. Um, no word on how that would have presented itself in the show. Um... Nathan Fillion said that there was an episode where the crew would have landed on a dying planet. Presumably he must have seen the script for this um, or spoken to someone about the idea of it. Um, the inhabitants of the planet would have tried to steal Serenity, um, explaining about their need to get off-world. Um, the problem was that with the extra passengers, Serenity wouldn't have enough fuel or oxygen to make it to the nearest planet. And so, while everyone else was asleep, Mal then takes the ship himself and discovers that help would never have arrived. And that's an interesting concept. Um, it's a bit unclear how it all would have played out um, without making Mal seem... seem callous. Um, but I have confidence it could have been done. Um, 
Tim Mania also revealed that um, Inara um, is actually infected with a, a terminal disease. And this would have been the reveal of the secret of her syringe, which you see in the pilot episode. And there would have been an episode where Reavers um, come onto the ship. She's injected herself with the syringe and they proceed to gang rape her. But they would have then died because she'd injected herself with the syringe. That's a concept I'm glad didn't get made, to be honest. Um, I like the idea of her having like a suicide kit, um, which is what the implication of the syringe actually is. Um, not that she would have been made a victim before its effects could be used. Um, you know, sort of a preemptive kit that would have killed the Reavers. Um, cause Inara is still surrendering her, surrendering herself to something awful there. Um, you know, because the Reavers are outright stated to be awful. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure how well that one sits with me as a concept. The idea of Anara dying is an interesting one. The idea that she has this terminal illness. Um, that's believable. And it's even outlined... Um, a couple of times in the show itself. And I think a novel set after the film explored it. Um, because obviously the film led to more stories. Um, while the film was being developed, there was one other story idea called Those Left Behind, which was going to be a sort of a bridging story between Firefly and Serenity. It was originally planned to be a sort of like an animated anime style adaption, um, adaptation story of the the characters, but was unproduced, and so was instead turned into a comic series, which was published by Dark Horse. It was a limited run. Uh, it came out um, in the months leading up to the actual Serenity release. Um. It reveals that Dobson is still alive um, and that he comes back to the ship um, after having made a deal with the Hands of Blue. And Dobson himself has become obsessed with killing Mal and he claims he has the, the perfect plan and only needs the support of the Alliance. And so joining up with the Hands of Blue, they, they come in and... Um, you know, attack the crew while the crew is taking a job from from Badger. Um, but it turns out that the job from Badger is actually part of the plan. Um, you know, part of the setup from Dobson and his um, and the Hands of Blue. You know, Dobson is killed, um, but the Hands of Blue attempt to sneak aboard the Serenity. And because of River's psychic abilities, uh, she tips off the other crew to the intrusion. And they, they're they able to take control of the ship. Um, you know, Kaylee uses, manages to close the airlock, airlock and continually jerry-rigs it to keep out the agents who are trying to bypass the lock. And, 
you know, they managed to, to burn using the engine flame, they burn off the hands of Blue and their agents, which which kills them. Um but there's also a confrontation between Mal and Book. Um Inara leaves the ship. Um the confrontation between Mal and Book leads to to violence and and so Book leaves as well feeling that the, his time on the ship has been corrupting him um, but also mentioning that he doesn't you know he doesn't mention that it's quite clearly because he no longer trusts Mal and the Alliance then conscript someone else to hunt the Tams uh, a character called the operative and this comic series um you know which like i said was planned to be an animated story um leads directly into the plot of um serenity itself although the success of this comic series did later lead to more comics off the back of Firefly and Serenity, um, which expand after the show. Um, and Dark Horse did several comics um, for Firefly and Serenity. But then it, before... You know, it did a few, and then after, in 2018, Boom Studios actually began publishing its own line of comics as well. And there's even a couple of novels that were released as well. So, you know, Those Left Behind is the story that kind of turns Serenity into a franchise. Um, for better or worse. Like I said, it's not one I'm interested in delving too much beyond these original stories into. Um but it's a definitely an interesting one nonetheless but the series itself gets capped off with Firefly uh, not Firefly, the show is Firefly the, the story itself gets capped off with the film Serenity Serenity reveals that um, well Serenity depicts the operative who is played by um for and he's absolutely brilliant in this he is an alliance operative who is investigating the Tams starting with watching um, River's liberation by Simon and he's been tasked with recapturing her because during her training she was observed by several top government officials including members of the alliance parliament and so being a reader there's a good chance she's learned secrets from them. And that's what the Alliance wants from River. That's what they've always wanted from River. The information in her head. Um, you know, she's the loose end. They want her dead. And so the operative is assigned to find her. Um, we then meet the crew. 
Um, we join them on another job. Again, just another job. They're, they're planning a bank robbery. Um, but while they're in the middle of the bank robbery, um, you know, Mal, Zoe, Jane and River, um, who has been brought along by Mal, um, although Simon isn't happy about it, they then get attacked by the Reavers. Well, more accurately, the colony they're on gets attacked by the Reavers. And this is where the Reavers are built up as a real threat as they attack and try and ravage the place. And it's very, very good. They There's some very tense action moments, um, a lot of practical effects, um, also some pretty good CGI. Um wash manages to coordinate with zoe to save them all um jane is injured but um kept alive um simon proceeds to punch mal um for putting river in danger and says that you know the next planet there are the next port they're at he's leaving um they end up at a bar and while they're there River is triggered by a subliminal message on the TV and attacks a whole load of patrons, um, which then leads to Mal and Simon coming to uh, stop her, and they go back aboard the ship, um, and they speak to a hacker known as Mr. Universe, who discovers that there's a sublim discovers the message and that it's designed to trigger River's mental conditioning. And that she said the word Miranda before she attacked. And that someone else has viewed the footage. Mal then receives an invitation from Inara. And realises it's a trap, but goes anyway. And this is where he gets his first confrontation with the operative. Who reveals that he wants River handed over. Mal and Inara barely escape. And they learn what Miranda is. It's a planet located beyond the black. Um, and it's an abandoned colony that people are aware of. But like vaguely aware of. It's like an urban legend. Um, or frontier legend, I should say. They fly back to the planet of Haven, which is where Book has been based. But now find it devastated and Book dead and it's revealed that haven wasn't the only place attacked the operative found a list of places that serenity goes and torched them all killed all of the people there and he will promise he promises to kill anyone who assists malcolm until he gets river Mal disguises the Serenity as a Reaver ship and they travel to Miranda. Um, they find that it's a planet where 30 million colonists, it's not just some frontier colony, there's a big colony world, died. Um, but they just laid down and died. And they find a recording um, from an Alliance scientist who's played by Sarah Paulson of American Horror Story fame. And she reveals that she was part of an alliance team sent to Miranda to investigate what happened. And basically, they added an experimental chemical 
to suppress aggression into Miranda's atmosphere while terraforming it. But the population became so docile that they stopped performing all activities of life and just laid down and died, except for a very small proportion of them who had the opposite reaction and became the Reavers. Insanely aggressive and insanely violent. This was the secret that's inside Rivers' subconscious, that the Alliance had created the Reavers. And I really like this twist. It's a very good twist. It's not quite as eldritch horror as the initial implications about the Reavers, um, but it feels like a good secret that the Alliance would want to keep under wraps. Um... The crew go back to Mr. Universe to broadcast the recording, but the operative has already found him, kills him, and prepares an ambush with an Alliance ship. The crew realise this, and so provoke the Reaver fleet into following them and chasing them towards the Alliance Armada, which leads to a big space battle with Serenity caught in the crossfire. It feels very movie, having a big space battle, but it also doesn't feel, feel very Firefly. So I can see pluses and negatives of this take. I don't hate it, though. Um, there's some very interesting things it, that happen in the combat. Uh, and the Reaver ships are suitably terrifying. Like, the actual ships themselves look ugly and barbaric and, you know, really mean and aggressive. Um... And, you know, Mal's speech before he leads the crew back and says that he's going to make this known, where he says, I aim to misbehave. That became, like, the rallying cry of, of, this, franch of this franchise. You know, the, the, the often quoted line I, of, I aim to misbehave. You know, in a similar way to, you know, beam me up, Scotty, or may the force be with you. Um... And it's, it's definitely a great moment in the film. Um, and I think was one of the moments where I really got sold on Mal as a leader. Um, you know, the crew crash on the planet um, near the uh, Mr. Universe's tower. They make a last stand against the Reavers. Um, and this is dark. Like, Wash dies... Um, in the as they crash land, um, being killed by the Reavers, which is horrible. Um, I love Wash, didn't want him to die. There's a reason for it, which makes sense, behind-the-scenes reason, but um, narratively it hurts because Zoe doesn't get a lot of chance to ruminate on it before the, the final action scene. Um we just see her go full soldier and try and keep the people alive and, and fight the Reavers off. Um, Mal ends up fighting the operative. Simon ends up shot. Um, Zoe ends up shot. The crew gets stuck behind a set of blast doors that have to be closed from the outside. River jumps out, fights the Reavers off, closes the door to keep them all safe. Um... And, you know, at the transmitter, Mal eventually manages to overpower the operative. 
um, by cheating, um, <laughs> and subdues him and forces him to watch as he broadcasts the recording to the verse. And it's great. It is it is great. I really like it. Um you know, and at the end the operative realizes that, you know, he orders the Alliance troops to stand down, off orders the Alliance to repair Serenity and uh heal the crew, you know, because any secret that River had is now public knowledge. And it's weakened the government, but Simon and River aren't threats anymore. And he lets them go. And River takes down all the Reavers in which is so impressive. <laughs> you know, the shot of her there with the, the axe and the sword as she's she's killed all the Reavers is iconic. Um and very, very cool. Um and yeah, it works as an epilogue. I think it works as a film. Um, it's definitely preferable if you've seen Firefly, but I think you could definitely enjoy it on its own. There's a lot to like about it. And it was planned to be a new a new film, a new story. Um, but that didn't happen, unfortunately. Um, you know, they were planning sequels if it became successful, but it wasn't successful. It Most of the audience that wanted to watch it were hardcore Firefly fans. And they saw it and then didn't come back to see it. So on a budget of $39 million, it only made $40.4 million. And it's a bit of a shame because I do think it's a good film. Um, this is also the reason why Ron Glass and Alan Tudyk's characters were killed off, because they had more going on, which meant that they might not be able to come back for future installments. And so that's why they had to be... That's why their characters had to be killed off. And so I get it, but it is a shame. It is a shame. It's it's a good ending to the series and works quite well. I think the soundtrack's quite good. Uh, the visual effects are, are decent. The plot is interesting. It's got enough twists and turns. Gives you all you need for the character interactions. Really focuses on Mal and River. They are quite clearly the two leads of this, along with the operative, who is very well developed in a similar way to how um Jubal early was earlier on um as developed as a proper villain um that feels like a real threat and yeah so for me it works very well i i think i enjoyed serenity itself a lot more than i enjoyed the series like i think if i was to revisit anything from this it would be Serenity itself. But. Yeah. It's good. And I think watching it for the first time. I'm not. 
I'm happy I watched it. I'm happy I've experienced Firefly now. I have no huge desire to, to revisit any of it. Um, like I said, if I was to revisit anything, it would probably be Serenity. But I have no huge desire to. I'm not in an, an urgent rush to. But yeah, it's good. It was worth a watch. And, you know, hey, you might watch it. You all might like it more than me. Uh, feel free to tell me I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely good enough. It's definitely worth a watch, at least once. So, that was my thoughts on Firefly and Serenity after watching them for the first time. Um, I'm quite glad I finally finished this episode. Um, this is one that's been hanging on me. Um, I think because while Firefly and Serenity are in enjoyable, I felt like I'd have overwhelmingly negative things to say. I don't like to focus on the negative here, and I, I think I actually found more positives to say about this show than I first thought I had. Um, there's definitely things here I do like, but with how many amazing shows there are out there that speak to me on a much greater level than Firefly, I have no real interest in watching it again, as I said. Um, I'm glad that I talked about it and I'm glad that I've I've got this episode out um, my next episode I'm very very excited to make um, I'm going to be talking about Mortal Kombat a franchise that I've loved since I was a kid despite not playing one of the games since I was a, until I was an adult um, but yeah I'll tell you all about that then um so yeah, this is this is my view on Firefly. Like I said, I, d I don't want to focus on negatives around here. Um, there's plenty of things in the world that are negative, and while I might highlight negatives in my criticism of things or have to talk about them because they're simply unavoidable, like the things that Joss Whedon or Ezra Miller have been accused of, for example, um, to pick out this episode and a recent one. Um, I, don't, I don't like talking about the negatives. I'd much rather focus on the positives. Even when it was something I was more critical of, like Independence Day Resurgence last season, it was comparing and contrasting that to the new film as criticism of what I felt were the failings of Independence Day Resurgence. You know, I don't want to just be one of those white men on the internet that rants and rages about things. You know, I might have problems with things, but my problems... I, I, I don't want to be vitriolic about it, and I'm, I'm never going to be the sort of person who is blaming it on 
diversity or women or blacks or the woke agenda. It's like, no, I am not that sort of content creator. I have no desire to ever be that sort of content creator. So you will never find that from me. Okay. Um, so, yeah, hopefully you'll all enjoy this. Um, and you'll j- join me again in the next episode. Until next time, you can reach out to me all the usual spaces. I have uh, my own email inbox now. You can reach out to gardogoesgeek at gmail.com if you want to email me directly. Um, I even have commissions open on Ko-Fi now. Ko-Fi? Coffee? I never know how you're supposed to say it. Um, So not only could you tip me if you enjoy my content, but if there's something I haven't covered and you would really like me to cover it, um, you can commission me to to cover it. Um, You can also find me just by searching for Gardo on pretty much any social media platform you'll be able to find me whether it's twitter reddit tumblr facebook even um so yeah please feel free get in touch reach out and you know you can find me on discord i have a discord server there's not many people on there i'll be honest there's me and two others at the minute um we'd love to see more of you there i'd love to build uh, a thriving community i understand i'm not a large creator but i am building all of this now so that one day hopefully i might be and then the people will come build it and they shall come isn't that the saying so until next time my friends you all look after yourselves look after your mental health your physical health do your very best to find the positivity in this horrible thing that we all have to endure called life and you know if your positivity is escapism um with geek cultures just the geek subject just like me then you're in the right place Thank you, my friends, for once again joining me on Gardo Goes Geek. Your continued support for this podcast means the absolute world to me, and I am grateful for every single one of you who stays and listens to one of my episodes. It means the absolute world. Now, if you would like to engage more with me or the podcast, we have a Discord community, small but growing, and... And we now have commissions open on Ko-Fi. So if there's a topic you would like to see me cover, you can pay me to cover it. All funds will be used for legal purchase of the relevant items where I do not have them. Have a look on the link tree for more information. Until next time, look after yourselves. (laughs) 